We're in the second week of our gold series. Um, Dylan did an awesome job last week. If you guys want to give him a hand, I went back and listened to it. I actually wasn't in the room for his sermon last week. I actually had to go back out of town. I got in a pretty bad car accident uh, at the beginning of July. Jason actually saw it. He was right behind me. We were heading to another house to drop off stuff for an event we were doing. And (laughs) there were two stop signs. I saw one stop sign. I didn't see the other. And I kind of went out on the Westlake Houston and got T-boned. Jason thought I died at first. It was bad. So I totaled my car, needless to say. I've been driving a really old Subaru for the past month, so I wanted a new car. And my parents happen to have a car that they never use that's paid off, which is great for somebody like me. So I fly back to North Carolina and I pick up a gold Honda Odyssey, which is a minivan, and I drive it all the way back here. I take a DVD of Dylan's sermon I pop it into my minivan because it has a DVD player in the back, and I listen to Dylan's sermon, and it was epic. And I started looking at kind of the way he attacked this, because he was in Philippians uh, 3, which Philippians is my favorite book. I think he kind of led this series in that direction, because he loves this book, but he knows I love this book so much. And I started looking at it, and how many of you guys have been keeping up with the Olympics? You guys have seen it, right? Dylan brought an actual gold medal. And I geeked out when he showed me in the office, like that thing is epic. And he showed this thing. And then he kind of had the comparison between that old medal, or the, the gold one, and an old gold medal from 1912. And how the one that was older, even though it was smaller, it didn't look as shiny, any of those kind of things, it was so much better than what these people are going after nowadays. And you have Michael Phelps and Sugar Ray Leonard who are dedicating their lives to winning these championships and winning these gold medals and winning these belts. And they're worth about the same price as a decent TV. It feels cheap in a sense that that's what they're dedicating their life to. And when we were looking at this. When Dylan was looking at this, he pulled in one of my favorite Bible characters of all time, the Apostle Paul. And he goes through the Apostle Paul's life, how as a Jewish child, he had everything. He went through every ritual. He held up every tradition that was humanly possible for a Jewish child to do. He was the elite, went to the best schools, learned under Gamaliel, who was like a known Jewish philosopher of the time. Like, we know him nowadays. He's recorded not just in the Bible, but in extra-biblical sources because this guy was so sharp. That's who taught Paul the Old Testament. And Paul was a big deal. And not only that, he was completely sold out to the Jewish religion. He's completely bought in. So much so that when anything comes against the Jewish religion, like Christianity, he's going to attack it, and he's killing Christians. And that's when the coolest moment possibly in the entire book of Acts, one of the coolest moments in all of human history. It comes definitely in second to one major event that you guys know of, but Paul gets saved. And instantly when he gets saved, he takes all that status, all those achievements that he has, and he throws them behind him and goes all in for Christ. And I've been doing this Bible study uh, for the past few years. We'll go to Chick-fil-A before school and all that kind of stuff. And I have my sixth and seventh graders that are there with me. And one of the first books we went through was the book of Acts, because it's a great book. 
One of the really funny parts about the book of Acts for me when we were going through this study was every single week when my sixth graders at the time would come in, they'd be like, what happens to Paul this week? Because he was getting the tar beat out of him. He got thrown in jail every single time we read a new chapter. It was over and over and over again. It gets to the point where he's getting imprisoned, okay? They put him on a ship to take him to Rome because he wants an audience with the emperor who could kill him. And he's on a boat. The boat wrecks. He gets washed up on shore, and he's reaching in to help build a fire for the other prisoners. He reaches in, and a poisonous snake bites him. Like, it's just over and over and over, bad stuff happens to this guy. And he looks at it, and he's like, whatever. He shakes it off into the fire and goes, and everybody's freaking out. But that's how Paul was. Just like Dylan talked about last week, Paul realized that all of those earthly achievements, all those things that he had accumulated weren't worth as much as the world made it out to be. And he realized that the one thing worth chasing was Jesus, the person who lived and died for him and conquered death for him, the one that truly loved him. And the cool part about Philippians is, and also the rest of the Bible really is, that if you look at it, all those little numbers that you see with the verses and all the different chapters and all that stuff, a lot of those weren't there. We put those in so that we could memorize scripture and find stuff really easily. Verses weren't there. So chapter four, where we're gonna be today, we're gonna be in Philippians chapter four. Chapter four is actually part of what Dylan talked about last week. It literally feeds straight into it. It's one of the same thing. And in the book of Philippians, the thing that makes it so epic is that Paul's in prison when he writes it. He's in jail, and he's just kind of sitting there. He's on house arrest, he's got a guard chained to him 24-7, and he's sitting there, so he just writes letters. That's where a lot of the New Testament letters that were written by Paul, he wrote them from prison. And the book of Philippians, he writes it to a church that's actually got their ducks in a row. They're actually doing things correctly. They're living their faith correctly which is a miracle if you look at some of the other books and some of the stuff that Paul has to tell the other churches not to do. So he's looking through this and he goes through and he's telling them how to have a joy-filled life. And you can tell that he truly loves this church, even starting in verse one where he calls them his joy and his crown. And when it talks about a crown, it's talking about the Olympic prize crown, a laurel, because back in 1912, they didn't, or not 1912, back in uh, Jesus' time, they didn't have Olympic gold medals. They gave you like a little wreath to put on your head. He calls the Philippian church his crown. That's his prize, because they prove that his ministry is worth something. And you can tell he cares, because in verse two and three, you have these two ladies in the church that are arguing and bickering back and forth with one another, and he knows about them and is trying to help that argument and smooth those things over so that those two ladies can reconcile. And as he writes this letter, you truly start to see his heart. And in verse four, you kind of see everything start to come to a head when he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Rejoice. Think about this. Where is Paul? He's in prison. And he's saying rejoice, have joy. Think about this, that is a decision that Paul is making. He is choosing to look at the bright side of things. And that's something we need to remember. 
Having joy is a choice. You can choose to have joy. That is something that you can make a mindset of, that you can make an attitude of. Instead of living life miserable and being a pessimist like I tend to be, you can choose to have joy. That's something I struggle with every day. And while Paul is in prison writing this letter, he's saying, I choose to have joy because God is here. I choose to have joy because Christ is the one that I'm looking at, not specifically my circumstances, which is really cool. And in verse six, he keeps on going. He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Don't be anxious. Don't worry about anything. Think about this. Paul, out of all people, is saying don't worry. He's in jail. Not only is he in jail, but he's in the jail of the most powerful empire that at this time had ever lived. The Romans weren't too keen on keeping prisoners alive, especially if those people are starting rebellions, which is what Paul was charged with. So not only is he in jail, but he's in jail with the Romans. And then, look at these letters he's writing. He writes to the Corinthian church, and they're getting drunk during communion, dating their mothers, all kinds of weird stuff. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> it's true. Uh, the Colossian church has false teachers that are starting to infiltrate through the bottom of the church. The Galatian church has people that are coming in and forcing Gentile believers to start living like Jews and make, saying, you can't eat this, you can't eat this, you have to do this, da-da-da-da, and adding a whole bunch of things to salvation, which isn't true. You have the Thessalonians who Paul had told them a little bit about what was gonna happen at the end of days, and they start freaking out because they thought they missed it because there were some signs that were showing up that was similar, so they're like, God left us. Ah, and they, they start freaking out. So Paul has to write them another letter saying, calm down, you're good, don't worry. And you have all these different things. And Paul's seeing these churches look like they're about to fall apart. So not only is he in jail, not only does he have the chance of dying, but his life's work looks like it's crumbling. And in the midst of all that, he says, don't be anxious. Don't worry. Submit all of your prayers and supplications to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's another thing that you guys can learn today. You can choose to have peace. You can choose to have peace. Not only can you choose to have joy, but you can choose to have peace. Christ gives us peace, and if we keep him the central focus of our lives, if we keep running towards him in the midst of those bad circumstances that come through in life, you're going to have a peace about it. It's not going to affect you as much. I really got to see this a lot when I screwed up my leg. I've talked a lot about this story, but when I screwed up my leg, I couldn't walk for eight months. That's a long time, and I love to play sports, I love to run, I love to play basketball, all that was taken away from me. And then you had all these surgeries because I still can't lift my left foot, and it's also affected my balance, so I'm not gonna do that, but I can't lift it. And the reason for that is there's a main nerve that runs down the outside of your leg where my leg kinda went nick. Uh, but 
as I went through these surgeries, these different procedures, I had, had them like shocking my leg to see if my le- that movement was ever gonna, uh, ever gonna come back. My parents, I remember my dad started crying during one of the surgeries because he's looking at them literally shocking me with what looked like a cattle prod. And I'm just sitting there like, all right, we're good. They're like, oh, you're never, that's never coming back. Okay. And my parents are like, why are you reacting this way? Why aren't you tore up like we are? And I'm like, God's got me. And I, I had to struggle through that. But during that surgery time and during that recovery, I started putting my eyes back on God. And he gave me peace in the midst of that. He gave me focus on who he was and what he's done for me. And this is where this passage starts to really get awesome. If you look at verse nine, he, he continues this thought and he says, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. So practice having joy, practice having peace in your life, practice putting God first. And it says in verse 10, I rejoice in the Lord greatly now at length that you've revived your concern for me. So the Philippian church heard that Paul's in prison. They, they're worried about that. They're, they care about him. They're trying to send stuff to him. And he's like, uh, you revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you didn't really have an opportunity to show it. And in verse 11, it says, now that I'm speaking of being in need, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned that in whatever situation I can be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger and abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And a lot of times I have to check my heart with that verse. The Pharisee in me likes to prove that I know more than people and that people are getting things wrong. And a lot of people take that verse and try to make it mean something that it doesn't. They try to take that verse and use it to say, I can win the football game. I can run a mile and three and a half minutes. I don't think that's been done, but you have all these different things. Athletes ride it on the shoes. I had a t-shirt back in the day with it on it. But if you look at scripture, Paul is talking about how he gets through everything, how he endures all these bad circumstances, how he gets through these trials in his life. If you look at Paul, Paul's life, he got the cat of nine tails multiple times, 39 lashes, He got beat over and over again by the Roman government. He got beaten with rods a few times. He got shipwrecked three times. He ends up getting executed. He gets stoned. Like he legitimately gets dragged out of a city and they roll boulders on him. And the disciples, like the other disciples in the city, they're like standing around him like, well, what do we do now? And Paul gets up like, Everybody thinks he's dead. He gets up and walks straight back into the city and starts preaching again. It's crazy. This man had a mission. This man had a drive. And the reason he had that is because he had his eyes centered on Christ. He had his focus centered on Christ and who he was. And because of that, he had a joy in the midst of horrible circumstances. He had peace in the midst of some of the hardest trials that you're ever going to get. And if you look at Paul, one of the biggest things that ever happened to him is a lot of scholars think it was during that stoning, but they think it had to do with some of his eyesight. But whatever it was, Paul had something that he referred to as a thorn in the flesh. 
something that restricted him, something that hurt him. And he prayed to God multiple times, three or four times, saying, God, take this from me, take this from me. And God said something that changed his life at that point. He said, my grace will be sufficient for you. My grace will be enough for you. And Paul never asked again. He never asked for it to be taken away. He learned to live with it and deal with it. And that's the thing. If you want to choose to have joy, if you want to choose to have peace, you get all those things by choosing Christ. You have to choose Christ to get joy. You have to choose Christ to truly get peace. And you see that in the life of Michael Phelps. You see that in the life of Sugar Ray Leonard. I'm sure you would see that in the life of Leonidas of Rhodes. And one of the things that happens so often when I, I look at rooms like this, and I know, you, I know a lot of you guys pretty well, and I know your stories, and I know a lot of the things that you're dealing with. And I know a lot of you are hurting. A lot of you are dealing with things that you guys shouldn't have to deal with. You're dealing with divorce. You're dealing with a death in the family. You're dealing with a sickness that's affecting you or one of your loved ones, and it's holding you down. And not only that, but some of you, you may not be dealing with those things yet, but those things are on the horizon. At some point, something's going to happen. Some storm is going to come. And as you look at those things, as you look at your life, you can make a choice to truly put Christ at the center of everything that you're doing, at the center of everything you believe, at the center of everything that you want and need and desire. Just like the song that Louise sang earlier. And for some of you, you've never heard this before. You've never heard about Jesus Christ who came to earth to take our sins and to die for our sins and to rise from the dead so that we could have a relationship with him. And for some of you, you've heard about him, but it's never truly clicked. And it's never truly made sense in your heart that he loves you and that he gave himself for you. I was in the same boat when I was 17 years old. I was sitting in my room. I'd gotten in a huge argument with my mom and I, I started reading my Bible. I didn't get saved at some sermon or a Wednesday night service. I got saved reading my Bible. And through reading my Bible, I saw that I was a sinner and I saw that I needed Jesus and it finally clicked. And some of you need to take that step and some of you want to take that step. You want to choose Christ. You want to have joy, true joy. You want to have true peace. And surprisingly, it's easy. <laughs> you don't have to take a prayer mat and roll it out towards the east and bow down five times. You don't have to eat certain foods. You don't have to like rock back and forth and chant something in particular. It's as easy as having a conversation. You can just have a conversation with God. And if you mean that conversation in your heart, it's not the words, but if you mean that conversation in your hearts, He can change you. He can save you. So if everybody could bow your head and close your eyes.
If you're wanting to take that step of obedience, if you're wanting to truly give your life to Christ, I'm gonna lead you in a little prayer. Once again, the words aren't the thing that's gonna save you, but if you truly mean these things in your heart, you can truly have a relationship with God. And it's just something like this. All you need to say is this. Father, thank you so much for loving me so much that you would die for me to save me. And I know that I've messed up. I know that I've fallen short, but God, as of today, I wanna take that sin and that old me and put it behind me. And instead of having that old life, I wanna focus on you. Teach me how to become the person you want me to be and teach me how to love you with everything that I am.